So James chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of God. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the harvesters and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. Grass withers, the flower fades, ah, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Ah, freedom for patience. James says, be patient, uh, my brothers, uh, until the coming of the Lord. I think when we think of what we want from our freedom, I don't know that patience is something that we gravitate quickly and be like, ah, I want to be, I want to be patient. I want to learn patience is one of those things we struggle to pray for because you might have to be taken through the lessons of it. It's a, patience can be a hard thing and a, and a hard way to live, uh, this waiting and enduring 
wonder, wondering when or if you're going to get the things that you're longing for. So Thomas is, is two and a half right now, and he's, he's really fun um, and learning all kinds of things. And, and I've been like, even just what, what words he'll use and how language processes is fun. I feel like he's starting to get and understand like time a little bit more or duration or like things happening. Uh, I mean, you always have some kind of sense of that. But, but when you're really little and someone tells you later, like, I want some candy. Can I have some candy? And, you, and we say... No, maybe later after you eat dinner, right? When you're little, you understand that as no. <laughs> I want some candy right now. Can I have candy? And someone starts talking about later and you're like, I can tell I'm not getting candy, right? This later thing means no. Uh, but I've watched Thomas starting to, starting to understand and even use the word like tomorrow. Right, he has no clue like when tomorrow happens, right? It may be the very next day. It may be some point in the future. Uh, but he'll start talking about tomorrow, and he'll start talking about even her like next time. And I was telling him, hey, maybe we'll do this next week. And I watched him go, okay, that'd be great next week. He's got this sense of like he doesn't know when something's going to happen, but he's starting to get this idea that there's something that he wants uh, that he can't have right now. Not sure when that's going to happen, but somehow, sometime as, as things move on in waiting, that thing that he's longing for may come about. He can he look forward to it and things will advance toward it. Uh, he's learning patience. Um, not very much for a two-year-old, but you know, it starts at a progression. And, and the lesson that Thomas is learning as I'm watching, I'm going like, I'm still learning that lesson. I can understand when tomorrow is and when next week is more exactly. But I don't think that gives me more patience. I find that I tend to become less patient because of that. It's tomorrow. It's, it's next week already. Now, now where is it? How long do I have to wait? What's, what's coming uh, from this? Um, it, I'm still learning that lesson. That's the lesson that James is teaching us uh, here in this passage. Because the gospel uh, gives believers a freedom uh, for patience. That we're not stuck in the moment. We're not stuck just grasping for what we can find around us right now, trying to get all the satisfaction that we can that we can find at this moment, Uh, trying to just fill ourselves in whatever seems to be before us. We're not left there. We're not stuck there. We're not dependent on the moment uh, and and left or left despondent and disappointed uh, when it doesn't deliver. Uh, The gospel gives us a deeper hope. Jesus has redeemed his people ultimately for life in the new creation. That's where Galatians ended with Paul uh, reminding again about the new creation. Uh, All things made new and made right and made perfect. Injustice and oppression ended. All the things that you don't want, the pain and the hurt and the struggle, gone. And the deep things that we long for, the things that satisfy and fulfill, uh, that quench our thirst and our hunger, are fill, are, are ever-present. Uh, God himself uh, being with us and all that he promises uh, comes in that new creation. And Jesus has redeemed his people for that. And, and we have those blessings in part now. Scripture says we have that in the spirit. We have that by God's presence with us. We have it in knowing that our sins are not remembered anymore. Uh, that they have been uh, put upon Christ. And the blame has been taken away. 
And that God sees us as holy and righteous because of what Christ has done. And he's given us his spirit now as this this first fruit of all the blessings to come. Do we live in that longing and in that hope and that peace and joy and patience and love now? But we're still waiting for the fullness. We're still longing for that day. And we need these reminders that say, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Because what you long for isn't here yet, but it's coming. And it's worth it. And you're freed in the spirit to hope in what's coming and not just whatever you find in front of you. That you can live for that. So we're going to look at uh, three sides of the passage. Uh, Prosperity, uh, patience, and and prayer. Uh, Right? If you had a little point on your sheet there, it would say something along the lines of of a warning of, of prosperity. This harsh language that starts with weep and howl. You're like, oh. Okay, um, but then where does he lead that? Therefore, be, be patient, right? So what we're waiting, we're waiting in patience as we long for this hope and how that should always be working itself out is in prayer, is in wanting uh, to pray, to lean on God, to hope in and trust in and depend on him for what we need, for what we long for, for what we love, for what he's promised uh, to us. As we get through, I want you to ask yourself, um, do you see your need for patience? As you look at your life, as you look at the decisions you make, the things that you long for, the things you hope in, the things that are in front of you, the things that are difficult and the things that are joyful, do you see your need for, for patience, for this active waiting and longing and enduring and persevering? As you see that the gospel gives a freedom for patience uh, in Christ by the Spirit, Will you live in that? Will you live in the moment or will you live out of that gospel freedom for patience? Well, first of all, this warning of prosperity. James starts off with this harsh uh, word and warning uh, for the rich, for the, for the prosperous, for the uh, prosperity. Uh, and the idea is that the judgment on oppression is coming. Right? You, you, we may like pull back at this weep and howl at the miseries that are coming upon you, but, but there's something to rejoice and hope in the way that he's saying this. It's not, hey, people who have money are bad. Uh, but there's a whole other context as it speaks of this that with the truth that you can understand that, that as we have money or people who have money, we tend to use that for ourselves and to oppress others and to exalt our power. So he's taking that general principle and how that principle is often talked about in Scripture and using that to get, get about the idea for us that we would hope in it that oppression is going to be done with, that it's going to be ended. And the inequality of the power players who get to have the world work their way and against you isn't going to last. And that's a good thing that we should long for. Um, And all those temporary benefits, maybe that we have, maybe that we lust after, maybe that we wish we had the richness and the prosperity of, all those temporary benefits will be good for nothing. Or as James puts it, good for nothing except evidence uh, on that day of judgment as accusations uh, against them. And James is speaking here with kind of a, a prophetic a doom of judgment that's coming and, and how that judgment is real that we would stand uh, in front of it. And he seems to primarily be speaking to those uh, apart from Christ, right? To give a hope for those that are, that are underneath 
uh, that aren't the power players but are stuck underneath it to give hope for them that that oppression is going to be ended. But, but there's a warning for all of us as we hear this. I don't know why James still writes it for them. There's a hope in it and there's a, a warning uh, in it for it. In, in some senses, if you're just looking at these two, you know, two things, rich or poor, in some ways that you look at it, we're, we're all much closer to being in the category of being rich than, than experiencing real impoverishment. Uh, they say just you know, uh, across the board, if you have a roof on your head and clothes on your feet, uh, clothes on your back and, and food for the day, uh, you're standing on your clothes, um, that, you're, that you're richer than uh, a, a huge percentage of the world. Um, and as an American... Um, as people pursuing a college degree and the opportunity that you have in front of you, um, I know you're a poor college student, like how can you afford summer conference and we can help you out and all this, but like fit a lot closer in the category of the rich than just in the poor. Uh, it's more, more there, but to, but to hear it there and to say, how do we relate to this? What do we need to be warned of uh, by this? Uh, when you have a choice for what you'll eat, when you're going to eat it, what clothes you'll, you'll wear uh, and what clothes you'll wear next year and next season when you have a time for even when it comes into exams, like there's working and there's sleeping, but there's still this other time, at least little portions of it now and then. Um, there's a prosperity that we just take for granted that is our life and is our culture. Um, and, you know, like you read, if you were to just read verse 5 apart from the rest of James, a certain part of it sounds kind of nice. Uh, lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Like, prosperity. Okay, how, how, do, how do I sign up, right? Um, it's, it's the good life. They, they have it at ease. The things that they wanted, they were able to, able to have uh, for themselves. We, we, we long for that. And James has given two reasons in particular why uh, this is dangerous. Okay? He's warning about uh, this prosperity. And two things. Uh, the first, the allurement of it, that it captures us. That we easily become stuck under it because of our love of it. We treasure it. Uh, James echoes the teaching of Jesus uh, so uh, much all through it. And you certainly see it uh, in these verses from Matthew chapter 6. Um, we treasure it. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, and, and their heart, as James is speaking to these people as he's characterizing them, is not in the promises of God and the patience of waiting for it. They're ignoring that any judgment or any future might come, but, what but the prosperity that they can enjoy now. Uh, their heart is trapped uh, in it. Uh, Jesus says you can't love God and uh, stuff and money or mammon. It's, it's, it's stuff, the things that we, that we have. Uh, it's, it's not both. I mean, it's really, it's really nice when you can get new clothes. I'm enjoying wearing my new RUF t-shirt, you know. But, it, but it's nice when you, when you can get things that you want, when you can have a meal uh, that, that, that's good, when you can start looking at apartments for next year and, like, have different choices that are, that are good. Um, we, we, we long for that prosperity. So, so it's dangerous because it can capture our heart that way away from God so that we are hoping in what we have now, because there's a lot of it. And secondly, James brings out this uh, mistreatment of others. Now you see in verse 4, uh, uh, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, 
which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. In other words, as you've gotten rich, as you've had the powers, you've been the landholder, you've had other people work that land, and you got all the benefit of their work, and then maybe you didn't pay them quickly. I bet you didn't pay them equally to how much you got from it and distributed that, however that needs to be, right? Um, that, That it was definitely you dealt the cards in your favor and you held back on other people. And guess what? The way it talks about it is God sees that and God knows that. God sides himself on the poor and the needy. And we, if we start to see ourselves in a place of prosperity, we've got to look and say, how are we using that prosperity? How quickly does it lead us against those that God is calling us to care for and to protect and to look out for? Um, a conversation recently about some uh, folks who are going to go see uh, um, so, uh, you know, southern plantations down in the south. Some awesome things to see. And some folks thought, hey, this is great. Other folks are going, hey, when you look at the slavery that's part of that, like, this is an ugly thing, not a good thing, right? And you, you can go and you can look and you can see the beauty of this huge house and this huge estate and these tall ceilings and steps and like all that was involved in it. And, and then you're going, okay, all these fields, cotton or whatever, whole lot of people that were needing to work that before the uh, cotton gin and all like that. And here are these little bunks of tons of people where slaves were. So you can't look at that and just go, oh, look at the glory of these days. Without looking at it and going, oh, the cries of the harvesters that were calling out before the Lord, right? The oppression that is just the way we work. When we have prosperity, we use it for our benefit and tends to be against something else. So James calls out that danger. Because living in luxury sounds good. And self-indulgence feels like what we were made for. And it feels like it soothes uh, the moments of the things that we want. And James calls it out, especially in terms of the time, the timing of it, right? You're storing up treasure in the last days, or my favorite expression there at the end of verse 5, you fattened your hearts in the day of, in the day of slaughter. I don't know how many of y'all have gotten into, like some people really get into uh, food and food production now, you know, and how they'll feed cows, or they'll like get all these pigs together in like a building this size and just feed them constantly, and it's like nasty, And they don't live very long and they don't live very well, but they are fattening those pigs up with all kind of things that the pigs want. Why? Because they're going to eat them. Because bacon tastes good. Uh, Because because the day of slaughter is coming. Ooh, thanks, James. That gives me a different picture on luxury. On prosperity of the things that we want, that sometimes what we're doing is it so uh, draws us in, it's like we're fattening ourselves up when judgment is coming. That, that we're hoping in it instead of in God, instead of His promises, instead of what He's called us to. And listen, wealth can be good and used in good ways. Scripture will, will say that as well. But the tendency is here that it lures us away from God, away from hoping his promises, and against others when judgment's coming. And again, judgment's a good thing. Oppression needs to be ended, whether it's coming out of my heart or coming out of someone else's, and I'm, I'm under it. We want it to be ended, and that's coming. So James warns us of prosperity, how the gospel doesn't leave us uh, stuck uh, in that uh, prosperity. 
Uh, the gospel of freedom releases you from being captured by posterity. Not just, not just lost in the enjoyment of it. Indulgence feels good. Not stuck, stuck there. Um, not, nor, nor just caught in the frivolous pursuit of maybe I can get it. Maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, maybe then I'll be the rich and I'll feel like I'm, I'm living that way. The gospel frees us to draw our heads up, to look at that, see the evil and the ugliness of it, the judgment that's coming and go, not where my hope is. These things are corroding my own flesh, fattening my hearts. The gospel of freedom releases us for something else. Uh, prosperity, and then James calls us uh, to, uh, to patience. James' answer isn't hate money, hate rich people or whoever has money more than you, or hate yourself if you start to see the prosperity uh, that, that you enjoy, nor simply to give it all away, although that can be a helpful and healing thing in some parts. It doesn't get to all the root of it. Uh, the, the, it's deeper than just the situation you're in. Because you're an American instead of born uh, in, in a different country or a different place or the, the bank account uh, that you have or the family that you come from or your experiences that you've gone through, it goes to the heart. What do you love? What do you long for? What do you want? What, what do you hope tomorrow is going to hold? What do you hope for next week that's going to make it good? It's going to make you want uh, to keep going. And James says, be patient. He calls us to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Long for what's coming. Long for the return of the presence of Jesus, who is our hope, who is our joy, who is our salvation, who is our king, who loves us and whom we love, who unites us to the fullness of, of God's love. Uh, he, he says, set your heart, establish your hearts for that day of promise and of, and of judgment. Do we long for those things? But there's a waiting. There's an enduring. It's not, it's not here yet. I always love the older King James Version when it translates patience. I uh, use the word long-suffering. Uh, I find I can be pretty patient until like, it starts to annoy me and get in my way. Until there's suffering involved in it. And that the longer that there is pain or suffering involved in my waiting, now I'm not so patient anymore. But that's the whole idea of patience. So, uh, undergoing hardship and continuing to press forward. Uh, continuing to hope. Um, pa patience isn't easy. It's, we're not well trained in it. Uh, right? We're, we have a hard time like waiting for 60 seconds. If you're just waiting for 60 seconds... Probably by 15 seconds, you've like padded for the phone. By 30 seconds, you definitely have it out. And it's like, okay, give me some kind of connection or some kind of entertainment or some kind of distraction from my short suffering, right? Because I'm just alone for a minute and I'm thinking things and like, okay, well, I'd rather have my phone out. Like patience, maybe we don't train ourselves well uh, in that. We live in a society where we get things uh, quickly. Um, instead of... Uh, pressing through the, through the difficulty, we easily self-medicate. Um, whether that's drugs or whether that's Netflix or whether that's just getting things out on your phone, we're looking for something that says, make me feel better now, instead of pressing through in patience. Uh, but, but what does it mean to, to want with hope, to endure with longing and desire, 
uh, through hard things, when you can't see the outcome. Well, James gives us the illustration of a farmer. And we go, okay, I planted something once, elementary school. All right, we can just go to the grocery store. Like, you, you want some corn? Look, there's corn. Buy some corn. You want some meat and bacon? You don't have to know about what they do with the pigs. You just, you just buy it, right? It feels easy for us. But for the farmer who's planting it, his life and his livelihood is depending on what he's planted. And he plants, and he can prepare the field and get all of the, the best seed and plant it in, and he can cultivate it. And then he waits. And if... Things goes, goes well, and the temperatures are right at the right times, and the rain comes at the right time, and the right, right amount. It may be a bountiful harvest, and he may have lots of food for himself, for his families, for his friends, or to be able to sell and make money on. Or, if it's just a different year, and the different years come along plenty, to have hardly any. To just maybe be able to scrape by. Not have what you were counting. And you go into that not knowing what the year is going to bring. You sow the field and you prepare it and you plant and you cultivate it and you wait. You wait. And you wait. And you know what you're longing for. But we're waiting. And James says, listen, this is our life in the gospel, knowing that Christ has come, that he is coming again. He has made promises to us that he is going to bring his people into the new, new creation. But it's not yet. We prepare and we plant and we cultivate, but we, but we wait. We endure with patience to see what God will bring and when uh, his timing uh, is. Are we willing to wait uh, for what God promised, for when God does what he promises for us, for when he brings blessing? I kind of like this. James seems to go, a lot of time, no, we're not. Because he starts talking about how we grumble with one another. You get it like thrown in the middle. He talks about patience. He talks about grumbling with one another. He keeps going into this patience and hoping in what's coming. Because we start getting upset with one another because we're not getting the things that we want that are coming. And we start saying, I want it now and you're in my way. And we complain and we vent and we uh, get bitter and we fight one another. And Zari had a lot to say about this and a lot to say about words. But he just calls out for us how much that comes and is revealing of what we hope in and whether we're patiently enduring steadfast on that hope um, or if we just want justice now because of how someone hurt us and we will take that justice ourselves and, and go at the person. Uh, Patience with one another isn't easy, if we're honest. Patience waiting for God's kingdom uh, isn't, isn't easy but he encourages us as he calls us to this uh, steadfastness by giving the examples of the prophets. The examples of the prophets and all that they went through and the beauty of that uh, and, and Job and how Job suffered but also brings out that God is compassionate and merciful. Put it this way to sum it up without going through the whole uh, story of, of, of Job to, that I can promise you that God gives way more than he takes away. That's how it goes at the end of Job's story. Job doesn't even know all that happened beforehand and what the setup of it was. But, but Job's state afterwards uh, and before that God gave him more than he had taken away. God gives. God takes away. 
Uh, but, but he gives to us more than he takes away. And his promise of the new creation is so much more than what he calls us to give up. When he's calling us to give up a lot of things that aren't good for us, that aren't really what we want, and aren't really satisfying. And he calls us to endure hard things and suffering, but gives so much more. When's tomorrow? When's next week? When is it happening? Where do we uh, go from this? We're freed uh, for a future, uh, waiting for it in patience. The gospel brings an active patience because what's coming is what we want most, what we love most, what we long for. Prosperity, patience, and prayer. Uh, waiting in prayer and want, uh, waiting in patience and, and wanting uh, to pray. There's a particular way that, that patience will always be expressed. And, and what James goes on to talk about uh, is as an expression of that patience is prayer. Hoping in a future from God means praying for it. It means longing for it and expressing that longing before God, depending on him for what we want and what we need and for getting through the difficulty in the moment, needing help, wanting and longing for it from God. The more that we see that we don't have all that we long for, the more we realize the difficulty of now, the more we pray. I mean, most people, anyone I've talked to, including myself, when you see yourself praying most, it tends to be when things get hard, right? So as you start to realize those things, as you start to realize that what you have now isn't enough, isn't what you want, and you're longing for more, and you pray more. And if you get what James is saying about prosperity, then you're also getting, that's true all the time. Things that just fill our pleasures aren't enough. We, we long uh, for more. Uh, and so we pray. So James goes, whatever the circumstances, is it hard? Are you suffering? Pray. Go to God, cling to him to build that patience and the hope uh, for what he's promised. Are things going well? He says, pray. Or he says, sing praises. Because it, it comes out a little bit differently when things are going well. And that those praises aren't just, hey, we sing this or we sing this together. We're singing it to God. It's a prayer. It's a, it's a relating to God and expressing uh, to him. It goes further. Are you sick? Are you hurting? Pray. That the corporate life of the, the body together is one of, of praying together. So are there needs and you don't know how to handle it? Go and even says, take it. Come to the elders and have the elders pray. This, this anointing, uh, you go into more like what's going on here for this healing and how is this taking place and this healing in the early church that's different from some things now and God still does things now. And, but this anointing is a, it's a function of prayer and prayer from uh, the elders of the church uh, committing this person to God and how God would work through this. And I think there's this ambiguity in how he speaks of it, uh, that, that God will save them. And maybe that's through dealing with the physical infirmity of it. And maybe that's the deeper hope of the gospel that brings them past that physical infirmity to the new creation. And the second is definitely true, and God's able to work in order to make the first true. But what does that prayer do? It teaches us to go to him in dependence. 
to hope with enduring patience in painful difficulty and long for what God can do and trust him in it and get others to invest with us in this. So much that he says, are you, are you seeing your own sin? And God forgives sin, but he calls us to confess that sin to one another. It shouldn't be left like secretive and hiding so that it grows in darkness just in your own soul. To find people that you can trust to talk about that with and pray for one another. That yes, forgiveness is true, but that we would feel and understand the healing hope of the gospel. That we would long to be in God's presence because we're confident that he loves us and he wants us and he's prepared uh, things uh, for us. Prayer's not a, not a trick. Sometimes we lose, use prayer as a trick. Like prayer's a, prayer's a trick that we can use to escape patience. And yeah, pray when you're in hardship and sometimes God will take that away. Um, and it's good to, to, it's not always bad to pray that, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's a good thing that he's praying, even though God's doing more. But, but it's not that, hey, if we pray or we pray this right, then we can get out of hardship. We're, we're uniting our hearts in dependence before God to lead us. To lead us to what he's promised, what he's hoped in, to enable us uh, to endure it. That's a way to depend on and trust God in hardship. It's not a trick to escape patience. It's, uh, prayer is not, a, it's not an ineffective waste of time. It's not like, well, if there's other things happening, then this is, uh, look at how James says it here. It has great uh, power as it is working. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as, as it's working. Because God answers prayer. God specifically does things uh, as a result of prayer, as an answer of prayer. Are we then controlling God by our prayer? Absolutely not. Prayer is dependence on God. But, but God says, yes, prayer is real, and we ask God for things, and he delights uh, to answer and to give what is good and what is according to his kingdom and his promises. How much is that what we pray for? Do we pray for his kingdom to come? Do we pray for it with a real longing and hope? Do we join our actions in with that longing? Because the gospel gives us a freedom for patience and a patience that expresses itself in dependence on the Lord. That that hope comes from him and so we call out for it. In all circumstances. Do you see your need for patience? For long suffering? For delayed gratification? Uh, there's this uh, psycho psychological experiment that was done a long time ago. Uh, some of you may be familiar with it. called the marshmallow uh, experiment. Where they took kids, kindergarten age, four or five years old, and they were in a room, and there was a, they were, there was a marshmallow, and they told the kid, you can have the marshmallow, but I'm going to leave the room, and, I'm, and if, you, if you wait, if you don't eat the marshmallow until I'll come back, I'll, I'll, I'll bring two marshmallows. Right, so you can have something now, or you can wait, uh, and then you, then you get to have more reward. And so they just traced, you know, and some of the kids, like, as soon as the doors closed, they're right there grabbing other kids, like, fighting it for a while, but the marshmallow's still right there, right? 
Um, and some of them waited. It was like 15 minutes. I think they were gone. Then they come back. Um, and but here's the interesting thing. They continued to, um, to follow the participants of the study, I think, over 40 years. And in basically every area of life, this ability of those who were able to wait until the researcher came back, who had the patience, the endurance, the delay gratification in order to have more result later as it came, were far more successful, whether it was work, uh, career things, whether it was family, relationships, um, that that trait was a huge outworking. All right, that's fascinating in some ways, you know, like asking ourselves, what do we understand? But bring that into the deeper picture of the gospel and the promises that God has made for us. And he's not there watching us like a test subject to see how well we'll do and what we may get later in life or how that will work out well or bad from us. Uh, but Jesus has given us himself. He has reconciled us to God where we're forgiven, adopted, and belong to him and given his spirit that we can enjoy that now and have a hope and a longing for that future. And it's not 15 minutes that we're waiting, but it's not the researcher that's coming back. Uh, it's Christ himself bringing a new creation with all things made right, all things new, all things evil ended, all things pain done away with. The peace and joy and harmony and perfection forever. And he calls us, and James calls us in this passage, Patient. The gospel gives a freedom for patience to wait for that day and to live out of that hope and endurance at every moment.